We began with a quote that nailed us to the wall. Even people who appear supremely fit, highly successful, and hyper-organized are sometimes riddled with debilitating doubts, fears, and self-criticisms. Most people are struggling with difficult thoughts and feelings. But the show we put on for others says, I've got it handled. In reality, however, there's a big difference between what's on the outside and what's on the inside. And we always bring that outside-inside struggle into our relational lives. The smiles and the sorrows all intertwine with the outside-inside of who we are. We put down a foundation for this outside-inside series. It's complicated. There are no easy answers, but there are answers. Biblical principles transcend nice ideas, family tradition, pop culture, and social networking conversations. God wants to grow you through relationships. Growing always brings challenges, joys, agonies, gains, losses, and new ways of seeing life. You can't stop growing. And finally, relationships are the revelations of your inside world. Last week, we talked about the tensions of your life. Here's the myth. If you're a healthy, growing person, you don't have problems because you solve them, and you don't have tensions because you resolve them. Here's the truth. The opposite is actually true. Growing people, meaning everyone, have problems that are never solved and tensions that are never resolved. U.S. News and World Report announced it. 50 ways to improve your life in 2011. And so I bought into it. I was interested. I wanted to find out what are some of these ways that, that I can improve my life in 2011. And I was pretty surprised when I got to the inside of the magazine. One way they said that you can improve your life in 2011 is to get acquainted with beans. Now, I'm not sure exactly how that improves your life. I think they were talking about maybe uh, eating healthier, but that's the way it was put in the article. Get acquainted with beans. That'll change your life in 2011. A lot of you are having thoughts now. I'm not going to address any of those thoughts that you are having. Number two, catch up on lost sleep. They called it recovery sleep. In order to, to, to recover, you have to get to a place where you can like sleep half of a day. And they say if you sleep half a day on Saturday, you will recover and catch up on lost sleep. That'll change your life in 2011. Here's one that I could barely understand. Vacation and work on a farm. Vacation and work on a farm. And they actually give you a website you can go to so you can find a farm to uh, vacation at Worldwide Opportunities on Organic Farms, woof.org. You can check that out later. Don't check it out now. Okay, some of you are going to your Blackberries. Uh, number four. Oh, number four. Yeah, train your brain to excel under pressure. Here's a guy in the article who is training his brain to excel under pressure. So if you just do that, that is going to change your life in 2011. And then finally, this is maybe my favorite one, learn how to make your own luck. Visualize what you want to happen. So I'm going to try that right now. I'm going to visualize something. I'm going to try to see what happens. Here we go. Visualizing, 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 and <laughs> oh no, it didn't happen. It still hasn't happened. I'm trying to visualize it but it's still not happening. 
You know, we need more than a few thinking out of the box ideas when it comes to real life. Our lives are relational. We live in relationships. We work in relationships. Everything is about relationships. And we need to do more than just take a vacation on a farm. In real life, there is tension. Some of that tension you just have to manage and let become a growth engine in your life. And in real life, in real life, there are moments and seasons of being broken. Broken through divorce or marital struggle. Broken through personal failure. Broken through circumstances beyond your control. Broken through poor choices, yours or someone else's. Broken through anger and split-second decisions that crush a heart and a soul, a spirit and a dream. Everyone experiences brokenness in life. Everyone. The clock is ticking and sooner or later your time arrives. Let me teach you this morning how to rebuild your broken world so you can know how the pieces come back together for yourself or for someone you care about. The Bible speaks into the heart of the broken human experience. Psalm 142. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and with my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path and the way wherein I walked. Have they privily laid a snare for me? I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. And so verses one through four of this psalm state the case of the person who is feeling broken, the person who is feeling totally disconnected from life. This is telling God where you are, saying, God, I didn't want to be here, but I'm here. God, I don't understand all this. And, and when I look around, there's nobody reaching out to me. There's nobody that I can reach out to. I am overwhelmed and alone. I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. And so the person who's broken has to make that move, that vertical move to knowing that without his help, without his strength, without his wisdom, all will be for naught. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. If you don't if you don't reach out to me, I don't know how this is going to end. This looks like it's not going to end well for me unless you're there. Bring my soul out of prison that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. And in verse 7, there's a hint of a connection to rebuilding your broken world. And that hint is when you really get connected vertically, when you, when you have a connection with God that goes way beyond whatever you thought you could have. It goes way beyond religious exercise. It goes way beyond church. It goes way beyond theology. It's a, it's a personal walk, you and God, when you finally are making that connection work. Even in your brokenness, something happens. People show up to surround you. 
a group of people come to reach out to you and you are embraced. And it's, it's in that embraced that everything changes. You embrace God and God embraces you and there's, there's unconditional love and you are embraced by people who love you also unconditionally and are willing to walk with you through your brokenness. Paul writes about it in 2 Corinthians chapter four. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. What's a jar of clay like? It's, it's fragile, it cracks easily, it breaks easily. You have to be careful when you set it down. If you move it just the wrong way, there's a crack in it, a flower pot. Reminds me of a flower pot, but we have this treasure in a flower pot. That's who we are. We're the jar of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And this is where the action of rebuilding emanates from. It's God's power. It's not our strength. It's his strength. It's his power. It's his vision for who we can become out of brokenness. So Paul summarizes, therefore, we do not lose heart. We don't have to give up. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. He's talking about the outside and the inside and how important the inside is to the equation. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And you're stopped in your tracks for our light and momentary troubles, Paul. You don't know how I'm being broken. You don't know what, what happened. You don't know what I did. You don't know what they did to me. But Paul, in the wisdom of God, says, let's put everything in perspective. From where we're going, all of this is going to look very small someday for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So Paul, in essence, is saying, what are you looking at? What are you spending your energy on? What are you focusing on? Are you looking at the things that you can't see? Because those are the things that are going to last forever. Are you gaining perspective on your brokenness so that you can rebuild your broken world? In Proverbs 24, 14, it's put this way. Know also that wisdom is sweet to your soul. If you find it, there is a future hope for you and your hope will not be cut off. To get wisdom, you have to understand what God is saying to you. To understand what God is saying to you, you have to ponder words like this and passages like this. Because by the power of his spirit, he's trying to get truth into your heart. In Jeremiah 29, we have two verses that, that people quote often. A good friend of mine has these verses framed and, and on the wall. So as soon as you walk through the front door of his house, this is the first thing you see. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. God is invested 
in you. And he wants to help you rebuild any brokenness in your life. He was an unlikely candidate to write a book on brokenness. Gordon MacDonald was already the author of a million-selling book. Ordering your private world went like wildfire across this country about, it's now about 35 years ago. Um, churches were watching the, the videos at night. People were packing auditoriums. People were reading the book in, in groups and in Sunday school. It was, as if, it was as if he finally caught a hold of what everybody needed to understand. This is how you really live your life. This is how life really works. This is how your life works with others. This is how your life works with yourself. This is how your life works with God. And, and ordering your private world was a phenomenon. And I remember even uh, going up to Gordon McDonald at a conference and looking into his eyes, and I thought, this is a guy who has it all together. This is a man who is making an amazing impact in the Christian church. He was a pastor, leader, sought-after speaker, and was leading an international Christian organization when his world fell apart. In the years to follow, he was able to put together the plan for rebuilding his life with principles that were both wise and solidly grounded in biblical truth. In Rebuilding Your Broken World, he writes, I wrote Rebuilding Your Broken World as I became conscious of the sizable population of broken world people out there. When my own world fell apart, I began to receive private communications from significant numbers of people whose lives had self-destructed and who found little or no hope that there would ever be normalcy for them again. And I heard from others who were living secretly with overwhelming guilt and fear that their secret would go public. They asked similar questions. Can my world ever be rebuilt? Do I have any value? Can I be useful again? Is there life after failure. As Gordon and Gail McDonald began to put their lives back together after he had broken his marriage covenant, they went to live at a small home in New Hampshire. And they lived there for a long time. They were surrounded by friends there, people they ended up calling angels, people who, who listened to them and people who challenged them, people who brought biblical wisdom to the forefront of their lives. It was there at a place they called Peace Ledge that Gordon put together 10 principles for rebuilding a broken world. Principles I will offer today for broken world people. The principles were born from reading scripture, prayer, and the counsel of these godly friends. He calls these distillations of wisdom a gift to us from God. I will give you seven of the 10 this morning. Number one, be silent and withdraw. You've got to get away. You, you can't stay where you are. You've got to get someplace where there's time to take stock of what happened and why. Where you have time to realign and recharge spiritual resources. Where there's time to probe for and understand your blind spots. This is a time that takes months, not days or weeks. Some of us might be blessed to have a, a place to go to like the McDonald's did where we can get away for 
a period, a lengthy period of time and, and sort things out and get some help to come in there. Many of us will not have a place like that. And so you must, you must manage your time so that you find places and times in your, in your weekly schedule. But you must find places and times that will last for months and a year and maybe beyond that year. So you can really sort everything out unless you are silent and withdraw. You will build, try to rebuild your life on a foundation that, that at one point broke your life. You must be silent and withdraw. Don't defend yourself. It was easy in the days following Gordon's you know, public, very public fall from, from his position of leadership. It was easy for him to, to fight back at people who didn't understand everything that happened and who wanted to say things about him that weren't true. And he learned a principle from looking at the life of Jesus. Don't Defend yourself. There's a word in Proverbs, I believe, that, that says, let, it, let another praise you and not your own lips. And, and that's a, a good principle for everybody in life, no matter where you are. But Gordon learned that he, he had no right to stand up for himself and try to explain anything to anybody. And if he tried to do that, there would just be an ensuing argument that would would not avail much good. If there is to be any defense or advocacy, let it come from others. Let another praise you and not your own lips. Live like a forgiven person. Be as thankful as you possibly can. Serve every chance you get. Be orderly and dependable about your life. Get things in order. Have discipline. Ask other people to hold you accountable. Accept and learn from your defeats. Watch for addictions to busyness and excitement. Those, those twin temptations to be busy all the time can keep us from rebuilding our brokenness, can keep us from, from really asking the harder questions. I'm sorry, I'm busy. I have a lot of things to do. I got to get here. I got to get there. I got to keep going. There's, there's so much responsibility and we're busy and we're busy and the busyness is simply running away, running away from the real work that needs to be done in life. Excitement. This is fun. This is good. We got to get this. We got to go here. We got to do there. This is great. And, and, and you, you become unhealthily attached to exciting moments, exciting times, and all that is, is running away. It's good to have fun. All things in moderation. It's good to go places and see things. I like to go places and see things. But when it's a, a constant pursuit, when it's, it's, a, um, it's a numbing of what really needs to be talked about, then you are not rebuilding. You are again standing on a very shaky foundation. Don't enslave yourself to people's approval. Don't live for what everybody else thinks. You, you know, one day your, your popularity rating is high and another day it tanks and, and so you feel good one day and you feel horrible the next. Don't enslave yourself to people's approval. If you have to look for somebody's approval, look to God for his approval in your life by following what he's calling you to do. And then finally, say no as is appropriate. You don't have to do everything. You can't be everywhere. 
keep your life aligned and on track with the rebuilding process. Don't dodge the pain. Walk through it. Again, it's easy to want to anesthetize the pain in our lives. But when you walk through the pain, you will come out on the other side of the pain. You will learn something from the pain. One of my favorite movies is Cinderella Man. You see, when I'm not writing messages and praying and looking for sandwiches, I'm watching boxing movies. There's some great lessons in boxing movies. In Cinderella Man, there's a place where the main character, played by Russell Crowe, realizes that he knows he's got to walk right through the pain of his life. was getting worse. And then Rosie started to sneeze. Where are they, man? Jim, we can't even keep them warm. Where are the kids? The boys will sleep on the sofa at my father's in Brooklyn. And Rosie will stay at my sister's. Jimmy, we can't keep them. You don't make decisions about our children without me. But what if they get really sick? We already owe Dr. McDonald. You the send them away. Then all of this has been for nothing. Well, it's just until we get back to him and then they can If we can't stay together, that means we lost. That means we're giving up. I am not giving up. I am trying to protect our May, children. May, I promised him. Outside the butchers, I looked him in the eyes and I promised him with all of my heart I would never, ever send him away. You can't do this. You weren't here? You can't break my promises. Jim, you didn't see. You weren't here. And so he goes back to a, a club where all his old friends are, are sitting around and and everything is good in their lives and, and they're smoking cigars and having lunch and he puts his hat in his hand and he begs for money. He humbles himself and he begs for money because he knows he has to go through the pain. He can't run around it. He can't bury it. He's got to go through it. He's got to walk through it if he's going to ever get to the other side of it. And he comes back once again out of that pain to become heavyweight champion of the world. Number five, look for those who need grace and aren't getting it. Look for those who need grace. This, this is one of the great revelations that Gordon and Gail McDonald had. Instead of just looking at themselves all the time, they realized that all around them were people that needed grace. All around them were people with big and little gaps in their lives. And they started to say, let's fill that gap there. Let's fill that person's gap there. Let's take care of his gap. Let's take care of her gap. And the more gaps that they began to fill, the more their lives were being rebuilt. You've got to keep a focus on the, on the world and the needs of the world because even in our brokenness, we are still his hands and his feet. Even in our, in our position sometimes, if we don't know how we're going to fix this, God is saying, you go out and you fix stuff and I'll fix you. 
Look for those who need grace and aren't getting it and fill the gaps in life that you see right around you. Join with those who know how to praise God, Gordon writes. And that's what we do every Sunday. We get together and, and God gives us wisdom and he pours grace into our hearts and we're a part of a community. We're starting to create relational glue with each other and we're getting to know each other. We're doing things together. When we are part of a community that is changing life, that is life, God is rebuilding our broken worlds through just being together. The other night, a bunch of, of church leaders came together for a dinner, and it was just so simple. So often, we plan all these things, and we, we, we have all these different programs and strategies, and, and this here, here was a strategy. Get a bunch of people in a room, have them bring food. I thought it up. <laughs> it was my idea. You know, it just came to me out of the clear blue. I thought, what a brilliant idea. And so, so we did that on Friday night. We got a bunch of people in a room. Everybody brought food. You know, as an Italian, I was worried. I always get worried, like, people aren't going to bring enough food. It's, you know, people, everybody's going to bring a salad. I'm going to have to run out. You know, I get all these worries, you know. But it was amazing, the stuff that came and the people that just stood around and talked. And there was no program. We weren't watching a video. There wasn't a Bible study. It was just, it was the, the wonderful spiritual glue of people surrounding each other in the warmth of the love that God has put in their hearts. And I think there's something very healing about that. And I invite you to find a room and invite some people and just tell everybody to bring food. And you'll see how wonderful it can be as you rebuild your broken world. And then finally, look for new themes. This is brilliant. This is brilliant. Look for new themes. Don't move quickly into what you think you're supposed to do. Wait for God to reveal what might be a new theme in your future. Gordon writes, slowly I understood that to worry about what I was going to do was to worry about the wrong thing. You see, what was he going to do? Go back to teaching. Go back to being a pastor. Go back to writing books. What was, you know, all these things that he had done so well and he had been so successful at. What was he supposed to do? It's the wrong thing to worry about. The better issue was, what have I learned that I didn't know before, and how am I going to manage the information and experience for the glory of God and the serving of others? And when he asked himself those questions, he got a new theme for his life. Find the hopeless and tell them that rebuilding is possible. Find anybody without hope and tell him and tell her that rebuilding is possible. And that's what he's been doing with his life now all these years. He closes his book with this very insightful statement. The objective of rebuilding a broken world is, is not returning life to business as usual, as if nothing had ever happened. That could never be. No, the objective is to come out of a dark time and finish the race with a depth of grace and humility that might not have happened under any other circumstance. 
We broken world people live with a strange irony. Not for one moment would we ever wish to repeat what caused the original collapse. But we cannot ignore the fact that when restoration has had its way, we may be in a better position to offer insight and grace to others than we ever were before. We should never imagine ourselves heroes or worthy of special attention. But we do have a stewardship, a responsibility to testify to the pain, the grace, and the joy of re-entering the fellowship of God and his people. Broken world people are equipped now to understand other struggling people. We know how to give grace because we have received it. We know how to spot the earliest signs that someone is headed in the wrong direction. And if we are wise and caring, we may be able to help others in ways we wish we'd been able to help ourselves. All of those things and much more come to individuals who choose, who choose when they have fallen to get up again and finish the race. It's so hard to talk about brokenness, but it's so much a part of our lives, and we need to know the principles upon which we can rebuild. And I have shared these with you this morning, and I hope that you will look at them and that you will think about them and that you will pray about them and that you will talk to somebody if you need to talk to somebody because rebuilding your broken world, finishing the race, is always possible. It's what God wants. And so as is often the case, as I was in my office and preparing, that suddenly, even before I got to the end of putting this message together, a letter showed up, and the letter was for you. Dear friends, your lives are either already broken or moving toward your time of brokenness. I know this all too well from listening to your cries and holding your tears. I also know how the pain in your hearts goes well past anything you ever imagined you would experience. Your losses are like shipwrecks where a cracked hull and snapped mast write a story of unexpected demise. The remnants of what once was and what could have been raggedly frame a questionable future. There are days you have trouble breathing. There are days you hurl white-hot questions over my gates. Each question is important to me, even if you can't embrace the answers now. Embrace is a word we'll come back to. Your crushed hopes, your marred visions of what life was supposed to be overtake your soul. They leave your mind numb and your knees weak. You stumble through a series of moments. Some are measured in days, some in years. I will explain your moments. First, if you have somehow contributed to the pulverizing of your heart, you must pray for the strength to go on, even when the aftermath of your voracious sins have left a wasteland in their wake. You must pray for the strength I will bestow. The humility of your prayers mysteriously engages my work inside of you. I will never give up my work inside of you. You must never give up your prayers, which fall like rain on the wasteland. I will be with you. You will finish the race. Second, if you have been in the wrong place at the wrong time or were physically blindsided or entrenched in a family of chaos or impacted by the obtuse self-serving choices of not really your friend's kind of friends, remember me. Remember how I redeem all things. Remember me. As much as the world tried to break me, I would not be broken. 
Hand me your fickle brokenness and my healing artistry will reshape it for good. My work on the cross plunders arrogant, broken experiences. A reshaped and redeemed life begins to emerge from jagged shadows into refining light. You will finish the race. Now here's the truth about all brokenness. Momentary affliction is not to be compared to the glory that is to come. Say those words in your hearts. Speak them into your soul as often as you need a rock to stand on. They are my words. They call to an eternal foundation. Live your life for me, and though pain and suffering will attempt to overthrow grace, though season of affliction may run into season of affliction, though the world may threaten you and crush you for a moment, you will rise beyond all these moments into the glorious realization that what you didn't see was just beyond the light of day was the most important thing to see after all. What was just beyond the light of day was the most important thing to see after all. I cannot spare you brokenness in life's moments. That sparing comes later. But I can give you three things. I can give you a cross to ponder. I can give you my spirit to abide with you. And I can give you each other. Find me and you will find each other. And you will be healed in your brokenness. For broken lives cannot be broken in an embrace. You rebuild all things with and embrace Jesus. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to find you and find each other and help us to embrace each other in the, in the wonder of rebuilding our lives. Father, call us to finish the race. Call us to finish it with integrity. Call us to, to finish it with passion. Call the best out of us. Let us become more than we could have ever been before the brokenness, in and through the brokenness. Father, take each man here today, take each woman here today, and speak into their hearts. You will finish the race. Allow them to know how momentary light affliction is not to be compared to the glory that is to come. Father, keep our, our eyes on the things that we do not see. Keep our eyes on eternity in all ways and at all times. Now take us into these days and take us into a hope for tomorrow that our lives will be rebuilt and that you would receive the honor in all this. For we ask in Jesus' name, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we pray, amen. Thank you.